I, I get these direct mailers. I don't know about you guys, but you probably get them too. I get them in the mail all the time, these direct mail things. And this was from a number of years ago. It was a strong red, and it was blue coloring. I'm getting some sort of echo. I don't know what that is, Eric. But anyway, this direct mailer was strong blue and, uh, and red in coloring. And this is what it said. It said, if you ever secretly felt fat, skinny, lazy, compulsive, or depressed, this letter is for you. Your life can be changed for $29.95 plus $3 for shipping and handling. The package that I'm offering you for today would normally retail for $42.55. So $29.95 is a wonderful, reasonable price. I'm not making you any promises. The last sentence read, I guarantee that this will work. Change your life for $29.95. Now, those kind of ads and those kind of direct mailers work or they wouldn't send them out because people are often looking for all kinds of different ways to change their life and to change their habits and to change their perspective. When we get that kind of stuff in our lives, we just look at it often and we go, man, alive, what's this all about? The Los Angeles Times, a number of years ago, there was an article. And in this article, it said that there are over 2,000, 2,000 self-help books published a year in the United States. 2,000 self-help books published a year in the United States. We buy them. Is there anything that is out of control in your life? Is there anything out of control in the people that you know around you? What do we have a hard time controlling? My temper. My temper. One lady said, my husband is so temperamental. 90% temper and 10% mental. That's what she said. Spending. Spending. A bumper sticker read, the person who says money can't buy happiness just doesn't know where to shop. Eating, my moods, drinking, drugs, sexual desires out of whack, procrastinating one of these days, and bad habits. This morning, we're going to be talking about breaking free of addiction. Breaking free of habits that hold us back, that keep us from living the life that I believe that God wants us to live. I have to tell you that some of you are walking down this road, and I admire you so much because you have done some of the things that we're going to be talking about this morning. You have said, I have a problem, and I admire you for that. Others of us, we need to heed um, some biblical principles and understanding. I just want to lay a foundation. I, I could talk about this subject, and I've talked about it before for several weeks, 
and I don't have that. I just want to lay a foundation this morning and, and address this particular problem. But let, let's talk about the problem. Let's talk about the problem. Paul uh, summarizes the particular problem that Pastor Brad got through reading in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. Look at it with me. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin. Notice, it is sin living in me. Verse 18, for I know the good, the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Another translation, another paraphrase says, my behavior baffles me. Isn't that an interesting word? It baffles me because I want to do what is right, but I can't do what is right. And I can't, I don't have the power to refrain from the things that I know that I uh, should do. And I can't refrain from the things I know that I, I, I should not do. And and he's talking about a cross pull here. He's talking about a, a tug of war in people's lives. There's an old cowboy a number of years ago uh, that became a Christian. And this old cowboy said, I feel like that there are two horses pulling me in the opposite direction. Which one wins? Whichever one I say, giddy up to. I grew up in a very small community like John Day, 2,000 plus people. And it was a logging community like John Day, ranching community area. And every year, they would have the Loggers Jubilee from the Depression-era days. That local mill was closed down during the Depression era. And when it reopened after the Depression, they would have this Loggers Jubilee. And it was an opportunity for people to gather all of these loggers, and they have all these kinds of contests, and you've seen those on TV, and perhaps you've participated in They had the double axe throw, uh, trying to hit a center ring. They had this uh, chainsaw contest, and whoever got through it the quickest. But the highlight of that particular weekend happened on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock, and you know what it was? It was a tug-of-war. You've probably seen those tug of wars where they have these men, 10 men on this side and 10 men on this side. And they made this kind of uh, erected um, big huge hulking men on the end with as anchors with these uh, ropes around them with a special harness. And the idea was in the particular contest they were supposed to pull the center of the rope this way a couple feet, and if they did it, they win. And if they pulled it from the dead center this way a couple feet, then that side would win. And the interesting thing about it is, is that you have these young men, and they're padded on their side where they're laying on these cleats, and they're pulling, and they have those cleats there to, to, to pull themselves and they anchor themselves, and they're pulling back and forth, and it would go on sometimes for two hours. Sweat would be coming off of these people, and they were at dead center. And then all of a sudden, somebody would say something. Let's go. Go for it. And the big heavy guy on the uh, one of the ends would get stand up almost and he would gather a couple of cleats and then he would fall back. 
and all the rest of the guys would take a couple of cleats and they would fall back and they would make movement this way. And then pretty soon, uh, after sometimes, like I said, up to two hours, the contest was over. In my mind, I think of that. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying we're in this tug of war. We're in this cross pool. Uh, it's a class between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 14, verse 37. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, have you ever started a, a new habit only to have uh, that broken in a few weeks? Some sort of New Year's resolution. I'm going to go on a special diet in January, and in February I'm off of my diet. The results are predictable. Good intentions seldom work. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in this particular section of Scripture, says that there are often three results of this tug-of-war that we're in. Number one, he says, it causes confusion. It causes confusion. He said, it baffles me. My own behavior baffles me. Why do I keep making the same mistakes? Why am, so, am I so resistant to change? Why can't I figure out why, why I do what I, I don't want to do? I don't understand myself. Why do I act in ways that are bad for me? He says it's confusing. Number two, in this particular passage of Scripture, he says it is frustrating, frustrating. He says, I, I desire to do what is right, but I don't have the power I have the great intentions to start that diet in the morning, but by the afternoon comes along, I pick up a Big Mac in this hand, and I pick up another Big Mac in this hand. I don't have the willpower to do what I want to do, and it is frustrating. And you, did you know that's the problem with all of these health, self-help books? They tell you what to do, but they don't give you the power. No self-help book can give you the power to change it. It says, Drop all your bad habits. Great. I know that I have bad habits. Just drop them. But I don't have the power to drop them. Stop being negative. Right. How? Give me the power. Give me the energy. I keep stumbling and I get up and I stumble again. And he says, number three, besides the first two things, besides frustration and besides confusion, it also causes defeat and discouragement. Defeat and discouragement. It's an agonizing situation. Who can set me free from the prison of this mortal body? He says, I'm losing the battle. I've totally lost it. My life is a mess. My life is a fair. I just cannot change. There are things in life that I wish I could change, but I just don't have the power. I aim for the stars, but I hit the dust. I aim for the ceiling, but I hit the floor. Now, if you've ever felt this way, I've got good news for you. I do. I have good news for you. And I want you to notice God's promise. Jesus said, if you know the truth, if you know Him, the truth will set you free. He will set you free. Will set you free. I want you to circle that, set you free. Notice that the secret to personal change is not willpower. It's not pills. It's not gimmicks. It's not the latest book. It's not the latest seminar. Jesus said that the way that we break free from a hurt or hang up is to know the truth. Know the truth. How is that, Pastor Ron? The way you think determines the way that you feel. And the way that you feel determines the way that you act. And Scripture is resplendent with all of these illustrations. 
most of us try to work on the actions without ever changing the a, a internal behavior, so to speak. I'm going to force myself to quit. I'm going to force myself to change. Bad beliefs cause bad behavior. Everything in our life is a self-defeating behavior if it's a lie that I'm believing. I'm accepting a lie, perhaps. I believe something about myself that's a lie. I believe my, something about someone else that's a lie. I believe something about success or failure that isn't true. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now, again, I wish I had more time uh, to talk about the subject, and Lord willing, I will talk about it in the, in the near future. But that's the problem. Let's look at the prescription. Let's look at the prescription. Three things you need to have this foundation that we're laying this morning. First of all, I have to acknowledge the root of the problem. I have to acknowledge the root of the problem. If, if I ever want to get over this self-defeating behavior, I have to acknowledge the root of the problem. This is a starting point for breaking free. Something's wrong with me. I, know, I don't know what it exactly is. I can't put a finger on it, but something's wrong. And God says the basic attitude that you have toward life, toward God, toward yourself, is wrong. And this attitude has a name. It does. This attitude has a name. It's not a word that you hear about much anymore. Nobody likes to talk about it. No one mentions it. It's unhip. It's uncool. It's unsophisticated. But truly the problem is spelled S-I-N. Sin. Did you know that there's the fact of sin, this carnal nature that we're born with, and there are the acts of sin. Did you know that? There are the acts of sin. And that's the problem. Now listen to what I'm going to say. Sin is not getting stoned. Sin is not getting drunk. Not running off with somebody else's wife. These are the results of sin. These are the results of sin. Sin basically is an attitude. I'm in charge. I want to be boss. And I want to run my own life. And I don't need God. And this is the basic attitude. It's the root of all of our problems. It's the root of all of this social ills. I'm in charge. And I don't need God. And this is man's oldest problem. Been around since Adam and Eve. Uh, I'm going to ignore God. And I'm going to do my own thing. I want you to notice that passage of Scripture. I think it's right there in your message notes. 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8. This is what the Bible says. It says, If we say we have not sinned, we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. Notice he says you're only fooling yourself. You're only hurting yourself. Uh, it's, 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 just, it's just better to acknowledge that I have a problem and to acknowledge it that it's sin. Uh, you know, it may be politically incorrect. People don't want to hear about it. But this is reality. This is what the Bible says. I, I have a problem. We have a problem. Uh, Billy Graham, the Pope, we're all sinners. This is what the Bible says. We're all sinners. And he says, first of all, I have to stop deceiving myself and pretending that it's not a problem. The problem is I think I'm in charge and I don't need God. And we weren't made to live that way. Uh, if you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, AA. The very first step is to admit that I'm powerless 
to control my situation and my life is unmanageable. I would add all that plus to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. My life is unmanageable. I've got this problem. And the problem is, is that often people have to hit the bottom to do anything. Uh, and, and nobody likes to admit that they're out of control. And then perhaps they say, well, then maybe I need some help. I've had couples come into my office, a lot of men, and they want to talk with me and they say, you know, something to the effect, my, my wife just left me. My wife just left me. I'm fed up. My marriage is over. Now, not always, not always, but a lot of the time, this is what the person says. What can I do? And the answer is, at that time, not always, but at that time, very little typically, because they waited too long. They waited too long. The first step in breaking free is to admit that I have a problem. You have a problem. We have a problem. Look at what Jesus said in John 8, 34. Everyone who commits sin is its slave. And whatever we refuse to admit enslaves you. And this is what the Bible says. Now, it's interesting because the context tells us he's not talking about an occasional sin. He's not talking about a sin here and a sin there or whatever, occasional. Because we don't have perfect performance. Did you hear what it said? We don't have perfect performance. But he's talking about habitual sin. He's talking about being addicted to something that is bad for us. We know it's bad for us. And we have a conscience, and our conscience is convicted about it. And we do this repeatedly, habitual sin, habitual sin, and habitual sin. And the Bible says when you commit habitual sin, that you are a slave to sin. In fact, in Ephesians, it says that when you go down that road, you give the devil a foothold. Different scholars have different opinions about what that means. But basically, what it's saying is, is that you're giving, just like it says, a, a, the devil a toehold in your life. You say, I'm powerless to change. I cannot control. Well, I have to acknowledge that I have a problem. And then B stands for, I have to believe. I have to believe that Christ can change me. I have to believe that Christ can change me. I, I want you to notice in Romans chapter 7, look at it with me one more time, verses 24 and 25. Paul says this, you know, uh, what a wretched man am I in. Who will rescue me from my body? Another translation paraphrase says, who can free me from this prison? And notice he says, I thank God there is a way out through Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is saying there is an answer. And the answer is in the person of Christ. God has the power that you're lacking. You don't have the power to change, but God does. God has got all the power in the whole world. And the Bible says that Christ wants to help us to change. I read a while back a story about a Chinese Christian who came to America 
to share his Christian testimony. And I'm quoting right now, and I want you to listen to his quote. This Chinese Christian who came to America. I'd walked through the road of life, and I'd fallen into a great ditch of sin. Muhammad came along and said, you're not really in that ditch. You just think you're there. Buddha came along and said, here are seven steps by which you can get out of that ditch. If you climb and struggle, you'll come out. I strove, but I cannot get out. Confucius came by and said, here are ten steps to self-attainment by which you can get out of that ditch. If you'll come halfway, I'll come the other half and help you out. Struggle as I would, I was still in the pit of sin and hopelessness and helplessness. But one day, Jesus Christ came by. He saw my condition, and without a word of advice, he stripped himself of his regal robe, got down into the ditch, into the muck, into the sin, and he got down and he lifted me out. Thank God. What I could do not, what I could not do for myself, Christ did for me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And that's the good news. I, I want you to to look at um, Romans eight two. Look at that. Look at that second verse there. Eight two. Look at it with me. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has what has set you free. Has set you free. Has set you free from the law of sin and death. Let's say that I were to. We were to go to the Oregon coast, Lincoln City or story, wherever you guys go on the Oregon coast. And I saw a dead seagull out on the beach there. And I threw that dead seagull up in the air. I stretched its wings out and I said, fly, seagull, fly. What would happen to that dead seagull? It would fall back down to the earth. It would come back down. I spread his wings again. I toss him up in the air and he falls back down. The only thing that could bring that new seagull back to life would be new life. New life. And the only thing the Bible says that can rescue us from this habitual sin and lifestyle, from the fact of sin and the acts of sin, is Christ. This is what the Bible says. Christ. Christ Jesus. C stands for, are you ready for this? Commit all. Commit all that I am to Christ. John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus said, I am the truth and the life. Jesus did not say, I point toward the truth. Jesus did not say, I'm one of many ways to the truth. Are you listening? Jesus did not say, uh, you know, I'm just one of many ways. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is what Christ said. And so we have to commit all of ourselves to Christ. And this is the foundation so we can get into the specifics. Commit all that I am, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups. This is what we say in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, 
holy and pleasing unto God. That means to consecrate yourself, to give yourself completely to God, all of yourself. He says, commit all, all, everything, everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that you are. You say, Pastor Ron, if I do that, I become a fanatical. I become one of those Bible thumpers. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You don't have to worry about that because when he gives you life, he gives you life, not some sort of legalistic, opinionated, you've got to do this and whatever it may be. He gives you life. The Bible says, Jesus said, I've come to give you life, abundant life. And the enemy of our souls comes to kill, maim, and destroy. Commit all that I am to Christ. I want you to listen to how, how the world deals with their problems and how they deal with their stresses. This, from, this is from a woman's magazine a number of years ago. Ten ways to feel better. These are, these are ways that the people in the world cope when they've got hang-ups and hurts and habits. One lady said in this article how they cope. I head home for lunch and tune my TV to my favorite soap. Another lady said, when life gets me down, I check out mentally by pretending I'm on a deserted island with my Hollywood hunk of a boyfriend that I'm dreaming about. Another lady says, I cure my depression by shopping. I find comfort in food. Whenever I feel down in the dumps, I, I head for the nearest deli and demand a pastrami and rye. Another lady said, my pick, my pick me up is fantasized revenge. Another lady said, I get a kick out of dressing up my daughter's Barbie dolls. I were in a Fred Astaire movie and played on, uh, played on the DVD. Then the magazine itself gives a full, uh, a few additional suggestions. Reread the first love story you ever read. Get away by yourself on the weekend. Get rid of all your old underwear. Is this the best that our world can do? Really, is this the best that our world can do? Come on now. The fact is, is that people will try everything else but Christ. They'll commit to everything else but Christ. They'll search all over for meaning without turning to Christ. And the Bible says, commit all, all to Christ. Everything, everything that you have, everything that you owe, everything that you are. I want you to notice what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. When anyone becomes a Christian, sold out, 100%, fully consecrated, that's the idea, when he becomes a Christian... He becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. I want you to contrast that, or, or to uh, yeah, contrast this above article to this uh, letter to the editor. Time magazine every year around Easter they publish things about Jesus because people are more focused on Jesus at that time of year. You've noticed that. Time Magazine and all the U.S. News and World, they always have these articles about Jesus. A few years ago, they had an article on the front cover in bold black letters were the words, uh, Who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? And uh, in this particular article, we had these scholars debating who was Jesus. And there was a letter to the editor a few weeks later that said, quote, As far as I'm concerned, the liberal theologians can keep their historical Jesus in their cut-and-paste Bible. Amen? Amen? Did you hear that statement? They can keep their historical Jesus in their cut-and-paste Bible. 
I'm a former alcoholic and adulterer set free by the power of Jesus Christ. And that is a testimony that people need to hear and they need to understand. Who cares about higher criticism when the resurrected power of the Son of God can transform your life here and now? This person concludes. Now you say, Pastor Ron, uh, again, if I really got squared away with the Lord, um, I'd become a fanatic. I want you to listen to 2 Timothy 1.7. The Spirit of God doesn't make us timid. Instead, His Spirit fills us with power and love and self-control. Another translation, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He says, I want to give you the power to change, uh, to build loving, lasting relationships, to, to have self-control, to stop defeating yourself. Here's the question. If you're tired of self-defeating behavior, coming short, not having this power to change your life, Understanding that willpower doesn't work. My advice to you is stop trying and start trusting. You say that's a lot easier said than done. It is. But that's the truth. Stop trying and start trusting. I want you to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Notice what the scripture says. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. There is freedom. Would you bow your heads with me and let's, let's pray this morning.